Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me or come after me. He said to three disciples in Luke chapter 9, foxes have holes, birds have nests, I have no place to lay my head. To another would-be disciple or disciple, he said to him, let the dead go bury their own dead, you proclaim the kingdom of God. And then to another disciple, he said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and keeps looking behind him is fit for service in the kingdom of God. These are disciples who misunderstood the meaning of follow. One of the terms that social media has changed for us is this term follow. When you follow somebody in social media, you get notifications whenever they post something and then you can watch the video, see the rant or every fleeting thought. When you follow them on Twitter, they tell you what they're doing while they're doing it. And so you can follow them whether they're on vacation or whether they're um, working out in their yard. It's like you know them. It's like you're closer to them, like you're on the inside, you know? It's a way to get closer to people. So people with a lot of power and a lot of popularity often have more followers. I can go online now and I can follow Barack Obama and he'll tell me his summer vacation playlist so I can download that for myself if I wanted to. I don't, but I could if I'm a follower. You with me? I can go online and follow some athlete after the last game and find out what he thought about the game. And it feels to me as if I'm in a room with that athlete and we're having a one-on-one conversation. I was, dis- I, I was, uh, I was shocked at this week to learn that Jesus apparently has a Twitter account. I didn't know this. So I went on to Jesus' Twitter account. I used to think he was sitting at the right hand of God interceding. I now know he's at the right hand of God updating his pages. And his most recent tweet was, I love you, by the way, and I've been obsessed with you like this whole time. That does sort of sound like him, doesn't it? Somewhere else he said, I'm probably better than you are, but I love you to keep trying. Mother's Day told me to call my mom. Christmas Day he canceled church and said spend time with your family. Valentine's Day he tweeted, I'm getting ready for my date with Beyonce. Sorry, Jay. A few hours later, apparently Beyonce didn't show up and Jesus tweeted, well, my date stood me up, so I guess it's just me and Grand Theft Auto tonight. When the Supreme Court ruled in gay marriage recently, Jesus tweeted, finally the Americans have taken my advice on love. It seemed at the end of reading Jesus' tweets, now you understand, by the way, this isn't really Jesus. i got to point that out for some of you. You're still stuck on that. This isn't Jesus that was tweeting these kind of things. This was some nerd next to a bag of Oreos and a cell phone. That's what that was. But when I finished reading these, these tweets that uh, Jesus allegedly posted, it seemed like uh, he had the same opinions that I did on a lot of things, not all things, of course. He probably voted like I would, and he probably thought the same stuff I thought. And so I was led to believe, you know, Jesus is an awful lot like me. I must be an awful lot like Jesus. <laughs> when you read the Gospels, you get a different picture. The meaning of what it is to follow changes significantly. Now, I'm saying this because I think what happens 
is, is that every culture takes whatever word is used in the Bible and they interpret that word according to the popular parlance of their day. So when we read words like follow me, we tend to think of it as if we're following him on Facebook or on Twitter. I got it. He's going to post things in the gospel. Or I'll watch a movie when I read a story with Jesus in it. And at the end of that, I'll see what Jesus did. But Jesus is not looking for admirers. He's not even trying to get worshipers. He's trying to make us into students. He's trying to get his mind inside of our mind so that we do things that he does while he's doing them in the places that he does them. He is trying to possess us. He doesn't want us to stand back at a distance and watch him do anything. He wants us to do it with him because we want to do it. Our minds have been changed. So when Jesus uses the word follow me, he actually uses one word in the original language, which is a combination of two ideas. One is the idea of a road or a path, and the other is the idea of of union or likeness. And so when Jesus uses the word follow me, the way he meant it was, go down a road or a path with me, and become like me or be in union with me while you go down this road. So it has the idea of companionship or friendship or closeness, but it also has the idea of transformation or change. So on the one hand, he's saying, I want us to become more and more uh, knowledgeable of each other. I want us to know each other more and more and to become better friends. But he's also saying in the process of that, I want you to become more like me. So it's not simply about loving Jesus. It's learning to love things I used to love less because they compete with Jesus or Jesus doesn't love them. Both of these components are there. Friendship, companionship, and change or transformation. So Paul would say, I want to know Christ. There's the companionship. And so to become like him in his death. That's the transformation or the change. How are you so far? Are you with me? So last week, I said, as we're walking along the road, it's good to ask ourselves some questions. We may ask, what would Jesus do? Or what did Jesus do? And write that down. And try your best to imitate that. But as you get a little further in your discipleship journey, ask yourself the question, why would he do that? What possessed Jesus to do what he did in the first place? Clearly, he had a different mind than the mind that I have, so he saw different things. He had different interpretations. Why did he interpret that the way he did? I don't see it that way at all. Now I'm trying to internalize the mind of Jesus. 
And further still, you may ask yourself, what is Jesus doing right now in this situation, in this class that I'm in, or in the meeting that I'm in, or in the city that we live in, or in my neighborhood, or in this conversation? What is Jesus doing right now, and how do I do it with him? Obviously, it would help to have some structure in our lives to build around us kind of the scaffolding that makes it possible to grow. One of the things we're going to need is a regular time of hearing the words of Jesus. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, most of us do not hear the words of Jesus on a regular basis. We wait for church on Sunday and then think somebody will tell them to us. But then there's a seven-day lax between those two periods. But if I'm going to become like Jesus, I have got to put into my life periods of time when I have the Scripture open and I am reading the words of Jesus. And then I've got to have a margin in my life where I can slow down and think about the stuff that I'm reading. I can pray through it. I can meditate on it. And I can ask myself, if this is all the stuff that I'm reading, what, as I push back, is the Word of God for me as I am reading this? Then I'm going to need some place to practice it. I'm going to need a situation where I can take the stuff I'm reading and the stuff I'm hearing Jesus say to me, and I can try to do it. So so if I'm going to learn to love my enemies, as he says, I'm going to need enemies. I'm going to need to be constantly in the presence of people that I don't like. I'm going to need people to rip me off. Or I couldn't possibly learn what he means by give them your coat also. If they take your shirt, give them your coat. See, otherwise that's just, that's just church talk, man. So if I'm going to learn how to settle disputes quickly, I'm going to need someone who is in dispute with me. See, but what happens is, We often try to avoid situations which are themselves the laboratory for learning the practices of Jesus. So it's like we want to memorize them, we want to repeat them or even preach on them. We just don't want to be in a situation where we actually have to try to do that. See it? So if I'm going to become like Jesus, I'm going to need to hear him. I'm going to need to process what he's saying to me. I'm going to need a place where I can practice that. That is hard and it's stubborn and I don't think I can do it. And then I'm going to need somebody to process it with. It's a person or a couple of people or it's a small group where I can sit down and say, all right, this is what happened this week. This is what I did. Am I getting this right? Do I have this? What am I doing wrong? See, and I need for them to encourage me. I don't need for them to preach at me. I have enough preachers. I can podcast preachers. I need people to come alongside me and say, that's better. (laughs) But last Tuesday when you did that, that was right. You got that right. Now, you may not do that all the time. I I grant that. But you had that part right. Because it helps me to think, you know what? Maybe I can do this. 
with more time. So I need to be encouraged. Hebrews said, spur one another on with love and good deeds. That is, when you see someone who's doing something well, applaud them and say, man, that's perfect. (laughs) Holiness churches aren't good at this by the nature. We're always checking for what people did wrong. But we don't always encourage us, you know, when we start getting it right. We think you're going to get a big head or something. I don't want to encourage you because then you'll think you're Jesus or something. (laughs) That's the point. Okay, so when I'm starting to get it right, encourage me. Nevertheless, somewhere along the journey, people get stuck. They're called by Jesus to follow him and they start to follow him and and the more they follow him, the more he talks, and then the more he talks, the more he talks them out of it. So if you read the Gospels from the beginning to the end, you, 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 you pick this up almost immediately. He says in Matthew chapter 4, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And the disciples say, oh, that's great. Yeah, we're in, man. Let's do that. So they're in. But let the record show that's all he's asked for. Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And he stops talking. Keep reading in Matthew chapter 16. And he says to the same disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, And follow me. You hear it? Does that seem harder to you than being fishers of men? (laughs) Or is it just me? So keep reading. A little while later in Luke chapter 14, he says, To be sure, anyone who does not take up his cross and carry it, cannot be my disciple. Okay, so he's laying it down. Now keep reading. Anyone who does not hate his father and mother and even his own life cannot be my disciple. Keep reading. Luke 14. Anyone who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Is it pretty clear by now that what it means to follow Jesus has gradually changed? This isn't bait and switch. He's not trying to get you in and then trying to trick you. What's happening is he is telling you at that time all that you can take. But because you can only learn one thing at a time... He'll wait a little while, and then he will say, by the way, if you're going to be my disciple, this is what is involved. There will come a little while longer, and he will say it again. Something will happen, something will go wrong, and he will say to you, by the way, if you're going to be my disciple, this is part of what being a disciple means. And very gradually, Jesus starts changing. The call. That's how people get stuck. That's where they get stuck. 
They're all in when he says, I'll make you fishers of men. But when he starts talking about picking up your cross, you start to slow down a bit. And then when he says, hate your mother, father, even your own life, you start to think this man is a little crazy. And then when he says, you have to give up everything that you have in order to be my disciple, you think he's flat insane. And what happens is, as he starts telling us more and more what is involved in this road of discipleship, we will negotiate with him every step of the way. He'll say something and we'll dumb it down because it's so radical we can't take it. Now we don't have the nerve to quit because we're afraid what will happen to us if we drop out of his school. But we don't have the courage to keep going. And so what happens is we just stop. Now, you can see this, again, if you read the Gospels. I'm not putting these thoughts in there. They're there. Read the Gospels. In John chapter 6, Jesus is teaching, fed the 5,000. He feeds 5,000. He has lots of followers. They're all around him. They're like students who don't study for class. They just come for the lecture. Right? And because this is a miracle, it's like coming for gym class and no other class. So they're showing up when Jesus is bringing the goods. But watch what happens. After supper time, Jesus starts talking. And the more he talks, the more he talks you out of it. He says, by the way, fellas, anyone who does not eat my flesh and drink my blood has no life in him. For my flesh is real food. In my blood is real drink. And they thought to themselves, he's a cannibal. And so read John chapter 6, verse 61. I'll quote it for you. And the disciples began to grumble. This isn't just people hanging on the margins. The text says these are disciples who came to class and then he starts talking and they start to grumble with each other. Keep reading. John 6 verse 66. From that time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. <laughs> called dropping out of school they were loving this stuff until he, until he starts talking and the more he talks the more he talks them out of it now to be clear he's not trying to ditch them he's not trying to say this is hard you should quit <laughs> that's a bad teacher what he's saying is when you signed up, you did not know all that was involved. So I'm waiting a little while. And when I think you can take it, I'm telling you the next leg. 
Listen, you've done well so far, but the next leg's going to be harder. Now you got to deny yourself. You'll work for a while trying to get your mind around that. You'll say, man, I am full of myself. I can't deny myself, but you'll get it. He'll wait a little while, and then he'll say, now you must leave your family. You must give me everything you have. You see it? The best thing I can liken this to is uh, uh, having a cell phone and with apps on it. So let's say that you have a, you have a discipleship app. Okay? And like all other apps, you get notifications. That means there is a new upgraded version of that app available. Do you want it or not? So, like a couple years ago, I, uh, I downloaded the new iOS for the smartphone, the Apple phone. It was saying, you know, what you got's good, but man, we got a humdinger right now, man. You get this thing, this will take you to new places. So I thought to myself, you know, don't be such an old guy, man. Upload, get this thing, get it, get it. So I hit send, and they sent me this new iOS. And the moment I got it, I thought, man, this is not what they promised. Got all new apps on this thing. You got to change all this kind of stuff. It drains my battery the second I unplug it from the wall. I can't figure it out. I was so happy with the last one. Now I got this new thing, and I don't know how to run it. But they say, if you stay with it, you'll get better at it. You'll like it more. It's better than the one you have. But I got stuck, you guys. I just thought, I can't figure this dumb thing out. This smartphone is a dumb phone. About a year later, I got another notification that said, we've got an even better iOS. Do you want it? And I was like, no, 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 no. Leave my phone alone. I will not take, discipleship is that way. Discipleship is that way. You start out with this following Jesus thing, you think you got it down, and all of a sudden you get a notification, man. It's labeled Matthew 16, are you in or not? And you say, yeah, I think I'll try that. And then all of a sudden you get in it and you're like, man, I don't think I like this. It's draining me. It's taking way more time. I used to be so good at following Jesus. But now I got this new version, this upgrade. And then he'll keep talking and you'll say to yourself, no, I'm not going any further. I'm done. And that is how people get stuck. Jesus outdistances them. In Luke 9, there are three fellas with this very problem. We must be careful when we read Luke 9 that we do not look at what Jesus said to the three disciples and say to ourselves, this is what you've got to do or you cannot be a disciple. If you do, that's legalism. 
What he told the disciples in Matthew 4 was, follow me, and he stopped talking. He didn't say, you got to give up everything you have, you got to carry your cross. He didn't say that in Matthew 4. He just said, follow me, are you in or not? Okay, so you have to be careful that you don't read into Luke 9 all the conditions for discipleship because if you do, then it becomes legalistic. But you have to be careful that you don't dumb it down so that Jesus doesn't really mean what he's plainly saying. I think the way of interpreting Luke chapter 9 is that these are not three would-be disciples. They are three disciples. These are people that are not checking out whether they're going to follow Jesus or not. These are people that have been following Jesus for a period of time. And then in Luke chapter 9, he brings up this whole matter of going to the cross And that's when he says, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. So all of a sudden, in their journey of discipleship, the conversation has changed. And it is in that new conversation that these disciples who've been with them for a period of time start getting notifications. So the first one in the middle of this conversation turns to Jesus and says, I will follow you wherever you go. Man, you are so good. Jesus says, foxes have holes and birds have nests. I don't have any place to lay my head. So what he wants is security. Like people today who say, Jesus, I'll follow you. But if I do that... I'm going to need a certain income. I'm going to need an office. I'm going to need a body of work. And and we just, we fill up a bubble of stuff we got to have. I got bills to pay and I've got people that I have obligations to and, and I'm going to need this and need that. You said you'd supply all things. These are the things I need. And what you hear Jesus saying to the first guy is, I don't even have some of those things. I don't even have those things. You might not get them either. You win? That's a notification. You want an upgrade? In the course of their conversation, Jesus turns to another guy and says, follow me. It's an invitation to come a step closer. And the man says, of course I'll follow you. But first I got to go bury my dad. Jewish law says that if his dad had actually died, he'd have been at the funeral. You were buried the day of the death. More likely, what the man's asking for is to go home and be with his dad in the last days of his life and then to bury his dad. Because according to Jewish law, it was the responsibility of the oldest son to bury the dad. 
So what he is probably saying is, I will follow you, but I have obligations. I have obligations. I have people depending on me. Let me go take care of those things, and then I will, I will, I will surely come follow you. And Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom. Like that today, we have our own disciples who, um, they're really busy people, their plates are full, they're over institutions, they run companies, they lead churches. They have a lot of people depending on them. And so, I mean, you always feel like you have to perform or else somebody depending on you is going to suffer for that. And somehow when Jesus starts talking, you want to take these things that he's saying and move them around all of your other obligations. That's what we want to do. Lord, I have obligations. I have relationships. I have people. I have things I've got to do, and I'm happy to follow you. So just tell me, how can I do those things differently? And what Jesus might be saying to us is, do different things. That's a notification. You want it or not. You see what's happening here? The thing is changing, people. Someone says, I'll follow you. Let me go say goodbye to my family. And we have disciples. I mean, we have disciples. Everything must wait for their marriage. And they defend it. We defend it. Using Scripture. Did you not call us to honor our marriages? Why would you challenge anything in the relationship with this person that I love? We have kids that we will not send away in full-time ministry. We'll negotiate and broker. It's our version of saying, first let me go back and say, first let me deal with my family. And Jesus says, if someone puts their hands to the plow and they keep looking back, they're not fit for service in the kingdom of God. These statements are so shocking, so outrageous, that the moment you hear them, if you're an intellectual, your tendency is to say, well, we're not sure exactly what he meant by that. If I give you that, will you at least concede that anybody who says these kinds of things is capable of saying anything? <laughs> He's not afraid that you're going to leave. Because he's not trying to grow a really big church. He is capable of saying things like this. 
So even if we say, well, he's not saying those things to me, but to those disciples, he's entirely capable of saying things just like that to you in time-specific, situation-specific language. Believe me, he can do it. And the question is, will you accept it? Or not. Because here, church, is the beauty of it. When Jesus loses his capacity to shock us, we stop growing. Right there. We stop growing. It is precisely because. He can say outrageous things. And it doesn't matter how long it takes us to live up to them. The fact that we are still open to hearing him say really impossible things and saying to ourselves, I love you more than anything else. That is the engine that helps us grow. It's not about, it isn't about Well, are these things family and jobs and obligations and security? Are these things right or wrong? It's not about is it right or wrong. It's a matter of precedence. It's a matter of what's most important. That's really the question of discipleship. And so whenever something challenges that, we'll get a notification. He will say some hard things and you will be tempted to broker it down, to minimize it. So you're already doing it, kind of, and then you'll get stuck. So I'm asking you this morning, what has Jesus been asking you to do? What has Jesus said to you lately that has shocked you? Some of us in this room right now are stuck because we're bored. We just have not heard anything from Jesus for a really long time. So my advice to you is learn something, man. Pick up the Word and read it. Get in a room where people know the Word and they cite it in context. Read other books that you've never read before. We do an all-church campaign. We're going to give a little devotional type thing out. Read it. Participate in reading your devotions on that day. Make the comments that you're going to make and share those thoughts in a group. So some of us just, just need to learn stuff that we haven't learned before. Other people maybe um, are, 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 are stuck because they need to try something. People grow when God calls them to do things that they've never done before and they decide to do it. They'll go on a mission trip or they'll accept a calling or they'll take a responsibility over here or they'll start to do something different with their money. When when God calls and they'll say, "I I don't think I can do this, they try it anyway. They just say, you know what? I can't deny he wants us to try it. Let's try it. And when they do... They get traction. Some people in, right now here are stuck because you're holding on to things that he's asked you to give up. And so my advice to you is to let go of something or confess something 
just out with it and say, I've been holding this in too long. It's a secret. And the longer I hold it in, the more it diminishes me. I need to talk to somebody about it. In some cases, you're holding on to something that Jesus says, you got to put it down and you won't put it down. Some of us in the room are stuck because we're in the middle of a crisis or things are really unjust in our lives right now and we're fighting it. We're pushing back on it. We keep saying, God needs to fix this. We're making threats and thinking that we're going to leave and we're just stalling right now. And sometimes we grow when we endure something. We don't fix it. We just stay in it and we get stronger through the process. Whatever it is, I think God speaks to a lot of people in our church. Maybe you're one of them. Maybe God's been saying things to you that have been really hard to hear. Do you have the courage to do them? I want to read a little story. I close with it. Somebody wrote about a man who wants more than anything a very expensive pearl. He says, I want this pearl. How much is it? Well, the seller says, it's very expensive. Yeah, but how much? Well, it's a very large amount. Do you think I can buy it? Oh, of course, everyone can buy it. But wait, didn't you say it was expensive? Yes. Well, how much is it? Everything you have, says the seller. So you make up your mind and you say, all right, I'll buy it. Well, what do you have, says the seller. Let's write it down. So you say, all right, I, uh, I have uh, $10,000 in my bank. Good, $10,000. What else? That's all. That's all I have. Nothing else? Well, I have a few dollars in my pocket. Really? How much? So you dig around and you say, well, 30, 40, wait, 60, 100, $120. Perfect. Let's put that down. What else do you have? Nothing. That's it. Where do you live? Uh, in a house? Yes, I have a house. Let's put that down. You mean I got to live in my camper? You have a camper? That too. Let's put it down. Great. Now I got to sleep in my car. You have a car. Two of them. Great. Both become mine. What else? Well, <laughs> You have my money, my house, my camper, my cars. What do you want? Are you alone in this world? No, I have a wife and two kids. All right. Your wife and your children too. What else? I have nothing else. Thank you very much. I am alone now. Suddenly, the seller exclaims, Oh, I almost forgot. You yourself 
Let's add you too. Everything becomes mine. Wife, children, house, money, cars, and you. Now, here's how it'll work. I may allow you to have these things or use these things for the time being, but there will come a time when I'll want them. When that time comes, you must give them to me, for they belong to me. They are mine, and now you are mine. 